Right, uh, why don't we have a word of prayer and then we can be seated. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. I just pray right now that you would just uh, bless the time that we're about to have, that as we look to your word, uh, that we would just listen to what you have to say. Um, God, that you would speak and that uh, we would answer. And God, I pray that that would be what would happen. I thank you for this worship time that we've had and thank you for the power of your love that you have in each and one of our lives. And just help us to remember that as we go through each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Oh, junior church and title time can be dismissed. Probably need my Bible. All right. Before we get in, uh, before we get into the word today, there's a few things I need to say. Uh, first thing is, is it escaped my mind when I was giving an announcement earlier. Uh, as I was talking about Epic, I did not also talk about Crew. If you are uh, attending Alfred State or Alfred University, or maybe you're not attending either of those schools, but you are a college-aged individual, uh, we are starting up our crew ministry again this semester. That's our college ministry, um, and it is going to start this Wednesday at 7.30. This Wednesday, 7.30, and we are meeting this semester at the uh, Seventh-day Baptist Church Parish House, which is right behind the church. It's, it's a really nice little building. If you need help to know how to get there, please see me before you today. It's come to my intention that there might be a few students that are here. Uh, and if you are here, we'd love to have you join us for our college ministry starting this Wednesday at 7.30. And that will be every Wednesday at 7.30 at the same location. Last semester it was Thursdays. We've changed uh, days and location. And uh, hopefully you've made a note of that because if you show up Thursday... Uh, There won't be anybody there. So there's that for crew. Now the other thing I wanted to mention today is Janine Wilson brought it to my attention today. She brought in a rose here that's over here uh, on the piano. For those of you who may not know, this week is Sanctity of Life Week um, where we think about all the uh, unborn babies that have been taken and all the effort that is being given towards supporting the right to life of even those in the womb. And we as a church do support the fact that life is life from the time that God creates it at conception. And we want to just recognize that this this week. We want to recognize, and I want to encourage everyone, and as Janine talked to me earlier, she said, you know, a lot of people have thrown a whole lot of money at this issue, but money is not what's going to change anything. What's truly going to change this country, what's truly going to change the ideas that people have about the sanctity of life is going to be God working through our prayers. So I would encourage all of you this week as you think about this, and we should be watching a video next week as well that'll tell us a little bit more about what's what's gone on this week. And it's the 40-year anniversary of, um, I don't know what is the 40-year anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Right, that's what I thought, but I didn't want to say it and be wrong. So so this is a big year. Uh, Please pray for our politicians. Pray for those who are lobbying in Washington. Pray for those unborn babies. And pray for mothers that they would make the choice uh, to let their babies live. And that's what we want to encourage you to do. And before we get into the Word, I would like to, myself, just as a, as a, as a church, that we can pray um, for this week, for uh, the sanctity of life, and then we'll get into what God has for us today. So why don't we pray once again. Uh, dear Lord, we do come before you today again. And God, we just lift up this week, as it is Sanctity of Life Week, and we remember um, all those unborn babies that have been senselessly taken from us. Um, And God, we just pray right now for all those who are fighting to uh, preserve life, to make it so that life does begin at conception and that we uh, can't just 
take life when we feel we want to. God, I just pray that you would work in this area, that you would work in those uh, people in Washington, you would work in our politicians. God, that you would work in our hearts to uh, pray and to support uh, this mission of, of seeing life cherished. And God, I just pray that you would, uh, I do pray for those mothers, even right now, that might be considering abortion that might be considering what they should do with this baby that's inside of them, that, God, that you would move their hearts to let the children have life so that they can live a life. And, God, if that means they have to go through adoption or any of those things, God, God, just please protect those little babies right now. Give those mothers wisdom. And, God, I pray that you would use us, uh, use all those around that believe in life, that we might be able to champion and come forward and say, yes, life is important to God and it's important to us as well. I pray for this week that you might do incredible things, that we might look back on this week and see that you have made huge, huge uh, difference in this whole issue. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, this morning uh, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that oftentimes... Uh, it's one of the most probably famous passages of Scripture. Any wedding you'll go to, uh, you'll probably hear this read. I know it was read at my wedding. Um, and uh, it is the famous love chapter that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. We'll be getting there in a minute. You can turn there if you wish. We're going to look at a couple verses before we get there. Um, but I want to look at this chapter in a little bit of a different type of view. Uh, normally we break down this chapter and we can break down what love is piece by piece and uh, we can talk about what all the words mean and all those type of things, and that is a very valid thing to do. And I would venture to say that many of you have probably sat through at least one sermon, if not more, in which we really talk about what love is and what it is all about. But I want to look at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, as well as the rest of that chapter. And I want to look at today uh, what it means, uh, really, to be godly and how we can incorporate love into the life and our, into our lives and into our service now if you if you do have an outline with you there were some on the back if you don't have one um i'm sure that one of the ushers could get you one if you raise your hand they would be more than willing if there's more left um but we do have an outline uh we didn't weren't able to put it in the bulletin just because of the short the short notice of everything uh, but if you look at that you'll see that the uh the title for today's sermon is called a balanced equation now, I'm not a mathematician, and I'm not a scientist, and I know there's a few in here that are, so I'm probably, at the end of this sermon, will probably get chastised a little bit about what I really know about what an equation is, because uh, I, uh, you know, I, I went through math, and I went through science, but I paid attention as well as I could, but let's face it, I'm not, uh, I'm not a math teacher, I'm not a scientist or a science teacher, I'm just little old me. So, um, but I want to talk about this idea of a balanced equation. Uh, in an equation, um, in math and science, really, an equation is used to seek to answer a question by developing an equation using variables to get to an answer. A solution probably is the correct word for it. Uh, and the idea is you want to get the right variables in the right proportion, and you want to do the right math pro problem, whether it's addition or subtraction, to get to that final answer that you're looking for. And to balance an equation, you want the one side to be equal to the other. And that's pretty simple. Uh, and today, we're going to look at what the answer is that we are striving to look for. And before we get there, uh, let's just agree this, with this one point, 
that as Christians, we are called to imitate God. Actually, we are called to live godly lives as best we can. Uh, Real quick, I want to read Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to turn there, I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And as we look at this verse, I want to see what it has to say to us. In Ephesians 5, chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1, we read this. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Uh, that's pretty simple. Be imitators of God. This is a command. This is what we're expected as Christians to do. We are expected to imitate God. And really, uh, to boil that down, it's really to live a godly life, to pursue godliness in our life. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the chief purpose of a Christian is to bring glory to God. And if we admit that and we look through Scripture and we can look at it time and time again, that God says that the chief end of all that we do is that we glorify Him. It's not about us, this life. It's all about Him. So as Christians, we are called to strive to be as much like Him as we can. doesn't mean we're going to be perfect and we'll make mistakes, but we should be striving each and every day to be there. So that is our answer that we're trying to get to. The question is this, how can we be godly? How can we glorify God through being a godly person? And that's what the question is that we're going to look at. Now we're going to try to formulate an equation that will cause us to get from one side to show how we can equal that godliness that we're looking for. And through 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to be looking uh, at two variables. If you know what a variable is, it's a part of the equation that goes into it. In algebra, it would be like x plus y equals xy, whatever it is. That was probably totally wrong. Sorry, Dale. (laughs) Uh, But So that's what a variable is. So what are the variables we're looking at? Well, our x variable would be service, and our y variable would be Love, And that's what we're going to look at as we look at 1 Corinthians 13. You see, because there are three equations then using these variables that people try to use in order to achieve godliness. But there is really only one equation, if you will, that equals where we want to go, and that is to be godly, to bring God the most glory that we can. So what equation will lead to godliness? Real quick, just so we understand where we're look, what we're looking at. As these variables, we're talking about service and love. What do I mean when I'm talking about service and love? Because these are pretty broad terms. Well, service is, is just this. It's everything in our lives that we would do, in our Christian lives, uh, that we do in order to please God. So that can be uh, obedience, you know, doing what he asks us to do through his word. Uh, it can be ministry. It's uh, teaching Sunday school or uh, cleaning the bathrooms of the church or whatever it might be, all these different types of ministry, that is a way of serving others and serving God. Another way to serve, and sometimes we don't think about it, is charity. By giving. Uh, By giving our money, we are serving. We are giving up what God has given to us to help in the ministry. So these are just a couple of different examples. It is a pretty broad term when we talk about service. It's anything that we do in order to try to please God. And uh, to say to please God, I think that goes back to the whole uh, give him glory. If we please him, we are glorifying him. So that's service. And then when we talk about love, uh, we need to understand that the love we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is agape love. And I'm sure you've probably heard that term before. Many of you know exactly what it means. When we're talking about agape love, we are talking about unconditional, self-sacrificing love that would put 
uh, others in front of ourselves. You know, love is so overused today. In one breath, you can say, I I love you to my wife, and then turn around and you can say, and I love this taco that I'm eating too. Uh, it's, uh, It's kind of a broad term today. So what do we really mean when we're talking about love? Well, I want to make sure everyone understands when we're talking about Christian love, it is the love that is the choice to put others in front of yourself. And that is really what godly love is. That is what love is as we look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, it's not just it's not romantic love that we're talking about. It's not uh, when you come up to your buddy, put your arm around him, and say "I love you, man." It's not that kind of love. It's the uh, the choice to put others first, and that's what we're going to look at uh, today. Even back in Ephesians, where we were in Ephesians chapter five, it goes on after we're told to be imitators of God. It says, "Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us." You go back there, and that's exactly what the kind of love is we're talking about. So service is what we do to please God. Love is that unconditional love in which we put ourselves behind others. Now it's important to understand, before we get into what these equations could be, that we understand what Paul is doing here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it is right in between two chapters, and you don't have to be a mathematician to understand that 13 comes between 12 and 14. Uh, In chapter 12, Paul has outlined what spiritual gifts are. He's given a whole list of what the spiritual gifts are. And if you look in chapter 14, he starts to talk about how those gifts are meant to be used. Now, in the middle of talking about spiritual gifts, which is really all about service, he puts this love chapter in. And it's important to understand that Paul wanted to make sure that the Corinthian believers had something right, because they were doing a whole lot. They were, a lot of gifts were being seen, but there was something that was missing. And that's why in the middle of him talking about spiritual gifts, right here in chapter 13, in the middle of the sandwich, he talks about the importance of love. So that's important to understand. So let's look at this first equation. The first equation that people might try to use in order to achieve godliness, in order to please God, is this. Service minus love, those are our variables. So service minus love equals worthlessness. That's what we're going to see. Service minus love is really worthless. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where I said we would be, I want to read the first three verses and listen to what Paul is saying here as he writes these words. Here he writes this, Though I speak with the tongues of men, and have be, but have not love, oh, and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love... It profits me nothing. As I said just a minute ago, Paul has just got done in chapter 12 talking about how the body is meant to work together through spiritual gifts and they're meant to serve each other through their spiritual gifts. But then he takes a minute to stop and what he says is, wait a minute, I want you to understand this. Let's just take this phrase by phrase, really, as we look at this. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Well, what is Paul saying here? He's saying if he were to do a whole lot of service, but not so much love, that it means nothing. It's worthless. You see, he's talking about, he says, 
hey, if I could speak in any language possible and I could speak all around the world and everybody would understand me, and if, you know what, even if I could talk like the angels talk, and he's saying this as an exaggeration to really hammer home his point, even if I had the most eloquent speech in all the world, even in all of heaven, if I could speak that well, it wouldn't matter if I didn't have love. That's what he says here in this first verse. Then he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Basically what he says is, If I have every spiritual gift there is and I am practicing them, and you know what? I understand everything about God. And once again, we've got to understand that Paul is exaggerating here because in many other scriptures, Paul says that he is still growing, he is still attaining, he is still learning. So Paul isn't saying that he has all these things, but what he's saying is, is even if I had all the gifts and I exercised all the gifts wonderfully and I had all knowledge and I knew everything about God there was to know, it wouldn't matter. He says, if I have all faith even, if I even have so much faith that you saw me go out and I started moving mountains around because I believed God would do it, even if I was doing something as miraculous as that, it wouldn't matter, he says here, He says, but have not love, I am nothing. Even if you're the most gifted person in the world, it doesn't matter if you're not using your gifts in love. And then finally, verse 3. And this is really where it kind of gets to, this is pretty extreme where Paul is going. And he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. What does Paul say here? He says, hey, I could give up everything I have, all my riches, all my stuff, clothes off my back, and I could give it to the poor. But you know what? If I don't do that out of love, it doesn't matter. It's worth nothing. Then he goes to this extreme. He says, even if I gave my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. This is a serious thing to think about. Paul says that even if I was a martyr and gave up my very life, even if I gave up my very life, but it wasn't done out of love for God and out of love for others, it doesn't mean a thing. It's worthless. There's a quote that I found from Billy Graham that I think kind of, I mean, it basically talks exactly what Paul is saying, but uh, Billy Graham, I mean, anyone pretty much hears that word, that name, you know who I'm talking about. One of the greatest world evangelists. And, you know... um, Maybe you agree with all his techniques, maybe you don't, but the point is he served God all of his life. And what he says is this. He, he was asked a question, and what, his, what he said in the answer was this. He said, Suppose that I am the greatest preacher who ever lived. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul wrote that unless I have love, I am nothing. Billy Graham understood that, look, I can have all these different evangelistic rallies. I can do all this stuff, and, I can, and it looks like everything is great. But if I'm not doing this because I love others and I love God, then I am nothing. So you might say, well, then, if you're not serving out of love, why would you even be serving in the first place? Well, I think all of us know that there are many motives for serving. Remember, we're talking about anything we do to try to please God, but sometimes that's exactly what it is. It's, it's only trying to earn favor from God and say, if I do this, then God will do this for me. That's not what life is about. There's also other motives. There's obligation. Well, I guess I have to do this, so I might as well, but I'm not going to like it much. There's legalism. Well, I have to do this if I, wanna, if I want my Christian life to matter or count. There's to ease our conscience. I don't want to feel guilty, so I guess I'll go ahead and serve. 
recognition. Wow, if I serve and I do a really good job, people are going to look at me and say, wow, that person is really a servant. And that's not humility. That is not love. Another, another one maybe we have is, like I said, trying to earn God's blessings. Just to say, you know what, I'm going to, do, I'm going to serve and do good things so that God will bless me. Now, is it wrong to hope that God blesses you? Well, not at all, but that shouldn't be your primary motive. Our primary motive should be love. If you turn over real quick to the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, Jesus makes this point very clear about the whole idea that service minus love is worthless. In Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And it says here in these verses, in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." This is such an, this is a, a little bit of a convicting and even a scary passage. Yesterday at men's group, I was asked at the end what my greatest fear was. And at the time, I just said, well, I'm really afraid of snakes, which I am. And I won't tell the whole story how I ran from a snake and let my son stand by him. Um, <laughs> or that I screamed like a little girl. So I, I won't get into that. But uh, that has happened. But I, I was really thinking about that. And I was going through this sermon and looking it over last night. And I thought, you know what my greatest fear is? My greatest fear is this that somehow, some way, I will spend my whole life serving God and thinking that I'm doing everything right and I'm doing all the ministries that I can do and yet at the end of my life, Jesus looks at me and he says, depart from me. It made me think, what is it that he would, if this person's done all these things, they've cast out demons, they've done all these great things, but yet he says, depart from me, I never knew you. It's because all that they did was done out of a wrong motive. So we need to be examining ourselves. I need to be examining myself to make sure that my motive is love for God, love for others, not anything else. Because you can serve all day long, but if you don't do it out of love, as we talked about, it's worthless. Doing the right things with the wrong motive leads to worthless works. To bring an illustration, maybe to clear this up even in a, in a home setting, uh, if you're a, a husband specifically, but I guess wives would have this as well, you might have a honey-do list at home, or maybe you're a child and you're not married, but you know what, you have a chore list that your parents expect you to do. Now, uh, we, all are meant, we all are meant to serve, to do the honey-do list, or to do the chores, uh, but you know what, if you just do the chores, or if you just do the honey-do list, but then, uh, let's say your spouse comes home after you've done all the lists that you're supposed to do, and all you can do is gripe and complain about all that you had to do that day, or as a kid, you come home and, and your parents say, oh, wow, you did all your chores, and all you can say is, yeah, well, that's, you know, I had to do it, I didn't want to, and I just needed to get it done so I could play my video games, and I can't believe you'd expect me to do that. No parent or spouse is going to be happy with that response. They don't give you a list of things to do so that you can gripe and complain, um, but they expect things to be done, and that's acceptable. But to bring it to a home level, if someone just does all the things and you do it all right, but you don't do it out of love, the person that you're doing it for is going to see it as worthless. Bringing it to the church, it's very simple. Who someone might be that is using this equation is simple. 
It might be somebody in this church who is very active in ministry, doing a whole lot, but you know what? They know deep down inside that it's not done out of love. It's not done out of love for God or for others, and I'm not pointing any fingers by any means. I've not been here long enough to know anything about anybody, really. Um, But I know that this is a temptation that all of us go through. We can get so busy doing ministry, so busy doing all the stuff that we know we're supposed to do, that it becomes a chore, and it's not done out of love. We need to examine what we're doing and examine when we go home and we're done doing ministry, why did we do it? And we really need to understand that we need to put serve out of love. So that's the first equation that people might try to use, service minus love, but we see that that equals worthlessness, not godliness. The next one, as we continue to go through uh, the book of First Corinthians, or the chapter in First Corinthians, as we continue to go through that, Uh, we see the next point, and this is this next equation that people try to use, and that is love minus service. Love minus service. Some people actually try to use this, and love minus service, and remember, service really here is action, uh, equals emptiness. Love minus service equals emptiness. It is empty love if it is not coming out as service. Well, you say, well, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and I don't even, I have no idea where you're getting this from. Well, if you look at the next three verses, four through seven, I want you to think about how love is described. In verse four, we read this. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things hopes all things, endures all things. These verses, when it talks about love, when it describes what love is, it's very important to see what it says. All the descriptions of what love is are all verbs. Now, so now I'm transitioning from math and science to English. So we're talking about a verb, which is an action word. All of these things, it's either something we shouldn't do or something we should do. It's all about doing. It's all about action. You see, this list doesn't say, you know, well, love is ooey and gooey, and love makes you have butterflies in your stomach, and love uh, makes you look look at everything with rose-colored glasses. That is not what this passage says. It says these things, that it'll be patient, it'll be kind, uh, it... And all these other things as we read through, and I won't repeat them all, we just read them, and you can read them yourselves. But all these words that are used here are action words. Love is action. And that is important that we understand that. So love minus service really is just empty love. And really, this isn't even really an accurate statement. Really, love minus action isn't really true love at all. It might be spoken love, it might be felt love, but it's not the true agape love that we've talked about at the beginning. It's very simple. Love is action. It's not feelings or verbal expression. Over in 1 John, this is again exposed and told to us throughout the scripture. And in 1 John, uh, we see this same thing come out. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. And uh, what we read is this. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him... How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What John says is the same thing that Paul says over in 1 Corinthians. 
says, look, love is action. Love happens through words, or love happens through deeds, not words. Love happens through deeds and truth. It is important to understand that when we are trying to get this equation to get us to godliness, that love minus service is just total emptiness. Love shows itself through service. And love without action, as I said, is not true agape love. So looking at your, looking at your outline here, we see that love minus service equals emptiness. Love is described in verbs, not feelings. Love will be seen in action, not simply in words. And finally, this is another quote I found. Now Gladys Award. I don't know if that's exactly how you say her name, but she was a very influential missionary in China. Uh, maybe you've heard her, of her, maybe you haven't, but she gave her whole life ministering to people over uh, in China and the Oriental world. And uh, this is what she said. She said this very simply, love is seen in what it does. Love is seen in what it does. And that just sums it up so well. The reason I put quotes in here, because a lot of times I want to say something, but you know what? I can't say it any better than somebody else has already said it before me. And I think that sums it all up. Love is seen in what it does. So going back to our illustration about the honey-do list or the chore list. Now, let's say my wife left me a honey-do list, and this has happened before, or your uh, father and mother left you a list as they were going away to work, and you had a day off of school, and they said, all right, this is what I want you to do. Clean your bed, do this, do that. Or for me, it was do the dishes, sweep the floor, whatever it might be. All these things. Let's say that my wife came home, and I was lounging on the couch, Hadn't done anything, but you know, when she comes in, I go up and I give her the biggest kiss ever and I say, I love you so much. And I, I, I just, everything about you, I love so much. It's so great. And look, I bought you this bouquet of flowers. Here's some candy. Oh, I just love you so much. Let me give you a foot rub. Okay. Now, my wife would probably like a lot of those things. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but if I didn't do what she asked me to do, it's still not going to, it's going to be empty. She's going to say, all right, this is great, but why is there still a pile of dishes in the sink? Why, is the, why am I walking around on dirt? I don't understand. I asked you to do a couple things. Yeah, give me the candy. But other than that, I mean, what, what good is this? And same thing with parents. You know, if you come home and you say, you know, mom and dad, I just, I just got to let you know. I've been watching you and I love you so much. I am so lucky to have you as a parent. And they walk into your room and all they see is clothes strewn everywhere. They're not going to be happy. So then we move on. So that's our, oh, and then bringing that to the church as we did with the last one. So the, the person in the church that this might be is someone, you, you know what, they come to Sunday and they worship and, and uh, they, they love worshiping and they love the people here and they, all, they tell everybody how much they love them. They, love, they tell God how much they love them. But you know what, when it comes down to when there are service opportunities, they turn the other way. They make excuses and say, well, I can't for this reason, I can't for that reason. And it's because uh, they might say they have a whole lot of love, they might even feel a whole lot of love when they're here, but if they don't put it into practice, if it's not actionable, if they're not showing that love, then it is emptiness. Maybe that's you, I don't know. But if it is, just reevaluate why it is that you are loving people. Loving people will come out in action. And finally, we move on to our last equation, and that is so we've looked at now two uh, subtraction equations. Service minus love equals worthlessness. Love minus service equals emptiness. And finally, service plus love equals godliness. And I'm sure you've seen that coming as we've gone through here, but service plus love equals godliness. 
This has already kind of been fleshed out as we've looked at this passage. Uh, There's no sense going over ground that we've already gone over. But yet there is a verse as we continue to look on. If you go to chapter 14, 14 chapter, chapter 14, verse 1. And I just want to look at the first part of that verse because he kind of sums up everything that he just said in chapter 13. And there's more verses in 13 uh, that we could talk about, but for time's sake, we've looked at the meat of what Paul says is love. It goes on in, verse four, in chapter 14, he says this. He sums it all up. He says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Then he goes in, on, in and talks about how all the gifts should be used. And that's... He's done with his bookend. He's done with his sandwich. But yet he comes up and he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. He doesn't say pursue love or desire spiritual gifts. He says, and. You see, we are called to desire service, but only while we pursue love. You see, it's, it's very interesting. It, love will, will bring you to service. The reason you serve should be out of love, and yet love, when you truly love, will bring you to serve. It's the perfect equation. It's the balanced equation. You can get, now you have, on one side of the equation, service and love, and on the other side, godliness. And now you've reached where, if you want to glorify God, He wants your heart and your love for others and for Him seen through action, seen through your service. Uh, we look at that, and we go back a, ch- a, a, a book in the Bible, in, in the book of Romans, and Paul writes the same thing again in a, to another group of people in Romans chapter 12, and this is another one of those passages, there's four main passages in scripture that talk about spiritual gifts, this is another one of them, and in Romans chapter 12, he talks about the spiritual gifts, uh, talks about how we are all one body and need to serve each other, and in the midst of talking about serving the body, in the middle of this chapter, of the chapter of Romans 12, in verse 9 and 10, He brings it all together again with this. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Then he goes on and talks about all the service that we should do as well. But in the middle, in the midst of this chapter, in the midst of another chapter where he talks about service, Paul writes that in all of this, we need to have love for each other, that we need to have a love, and it's love and service that go together. They're the perfect marriage. It's very important we understand that love and service, they're not meant to be separate. They're meant to be together. Selfless love is the centerpiece of serving, as Paul would say in this, in this chapter. This is the balanced equation that we've been searching for. So looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and a little bit of 14, I think it's very easy to see what it is that Paul says we should all be striving for. You see, he talks about love because the Corinthian church didn't understand. They were doing a whole lot of stuff. They were serving and there was a lot of spiritual gifts going on, but it was done in a wrong way. There was arrogance. There was wrong motives. There was people being left out. There was a whole lot of problems going on in Corinth, in the church in Corinth. And Paul wanted to make sure, as he talked to them about spiritual gifts, that he made it more than clear that even if you're the most gifted person, you have so many spiritual gifts and you are serving in a lot of ways, if it is not done through love, if love is not involved, then it means absolutely nothing. He's very clear on that in here in uh, chapter 13. 
So as we think about this love chapter, yes, we can look at what love is and talk about it, and it can be read at weddings and all those things, but let's remember why Paul wrote it in the first place. It was to make sure that people had the right motive, they had the right perspective on life, and that is that in order to serve the best we can, in order to have worthwhile service, in order to have a life full of love, we need to love enough that we serve, and they go together. I want to give a quote that I'm... And then I'm going to just give a quick challenge. Uh, the quote that I found, and it's on your thing, on your outline, says this. Life without love, and this is when Charles Stanley is talking about what the Christian life is all about, and he says this. Life without love is empty and meaningless, no matter how gifted we are. Once again, I can't say it any better than that. No matter how gifted we are, if we don't have love, it's, life is empty and meaningless. One last illustration, we talked about the household, and so obviously what we're looking for with that is, uh, if you have a honey-do list, do it, and do it because you love your wife. Maybe you still get the flowers and the candy, okay, but make, if you were doing it in that, if you're bringing it down to that, you want to do what you're asked to do, but do it through love. Same thing with the church. There's a lot of ministries you can get involved in, and I encourage you, if you're here and you're not involved in service, find a way to serve, but don't serve because of, for any other motive other than you want to show your love for God and others. One last illustration. Now, I've never done this. I'm not a rower. Uh, I know there's maybe a few of you in here who have been in rowboats before. If you have people that are rowing on one side but not on the other, you're going to go in circles. You say, well, what does this have to do with love and and service? Well, if we're all love and we're rowing on the left, we're going to go in circles. But if we're all service, we're going to be rowing on the right and we're going to be going in circles. If we want to go straight, we're going to marry the two love and service. Both sides will be rowing at the same time, and that's how we get to the destination that we're looking for. Um, And maybe that might be something you can think of as you think about it's got to be balanced. The equation needs to be balanced. Serving and love goes together. So finally, a challenge. So I like to challenge three groups of people usually when I preach, and the first group is those people that, you know what, you have been a dedicated Christian for a very long time, or maybe it's not even that long, but you are a dedicated Christian. You know where you stand with Christ. Well, I want to encourage you that if you are serving, that you make sure you're examining your motives. Make sure that you are doing everything you do in love. And if you're not, repent of that and, and give, God, give that to God and start to love through your service. And also, maybe you're not serving today. I, I would encourage you to show your love through serving in some way, shape, or form. There's also a group here today that, you know what, you uh, might say you're a Christian Uh, You've come to church, but you know deep down inside that your life isn't quite where it needs to be. And maybe you even know that maybe you're not really a Christian and you're just putting on a good face. Well, I want to encourage you today to make sure that your life is all about your love for Christ. That's what he asked. He loved us so much. We've sang about his love. He wants our love in return. And we love him and we serve. And I would encourage you to examine your life to make sure that your life as a whole is balanced in the fact that you are loving God and not just pretending. And finally, if you're here today and I've been talking and you've been kind of like, I have no idea where this guy's coming from. Uh, I'm just here because uh, I walked in. And you know, you don't know what this love is that I'm really talking about or serviced uh, because you're not, you've never been part of a church maybe or maybe you have but you've never uh, heard about the love of Christ. Today is the day that God is asking you to give your life to him, to give that love to him. He's loved you so much. He died on the cross for your sins and 
uh, and he rose again to show that he could conquer all your sin and, and conquer death itself. And he only asked that you come to him and you repent and you say, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you haven't done that today, please talk to myself, talk to any one of us here that knows Christ, and we'd be happy to tell you how you can start a relationship with him so that then you can understand more about this love. You can understand more about what it means to serve God. So now I'm going to just close in a word of prayer, and I just pray that as we do, that you guys would just think that all of us, including myself, would constantly be making sure that we are living by the right equation, service and love working together. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, I thank you again for this morning, and I thank you for the chance you've given for us to be here. And I just thank you for the chance that you've given for us to listen to your word. And God, I pray that we would all have been um, challenged, that we'd all change as we listen to your word, because your word is is here to transform us, not just to inform us. And God, I pray that you would uh, just help us to see that, that God, that you would uh, develop us into people that are truly desiring to bring you glory through living our lives by imitating you. And God, I pray that we would do that through loving you, loving others, and serving in that love. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.